day, Don's fans, and welcome to the round 12 edition of Don the Stat. A 50-point win over in the West against the Eagles has closed out a run of three interstate trips in four weeks. We move to six and five and sit eighth on the ladder, a game and percentage out of the top four. North Melbourne awaits at Docklands on Sunday with an opportunity for us to consolidate our place in the top eight. I'm Jonathan Walsh, and to chat through it all, I'm joined by my co-host, Ian Hume. Hume, mate, how's things? Look, just a bit under the weather here and also have two young boys with colds. Uh, luckily, my partner, Mary, is holding things together, so thanks to her. Um, it does help, though, that the Bombers have won two in a row and a good chance to make it three. How about yourself? Yeah, mate, I'm doing okay. Uh, another busy week, but it's always a little bit nicer to get through the week when your footy team's had a win on the weekend. So, uh, yeah, no, no real complaints here at all. Yeah. Well, look, before we get stuck into tonight, just a couple of little announcements. Firstly, I want to thank Alex Fair for speaking with me about the Tasmanian AFL team situation. It's going to be bonus episode 10 of Don the Stat. It's currently out on Patreon and you can sign up for a seven-day free trial if you would like to test it out now, um, including all the excellent video content that Jono puts out. Uh, But that interview will also be out on the main feed this coming Monday. I'd also like to Thank uh, the boys at the Big Footy Bombercast, Grizz and Bonser, for having me back on as a guest. Um, if it's not out now, it should be out shortly, and I'll share that on my socials as well. Um, really good to chat with them about where the Bombers are at, and thanks for having me back. Yeah, look forward to checking that one out myself, mate. The, the lads do a good job, and uh, it's always particularly enjoyable when you're on there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, let's get stuck into the West Coast game. And despite stating publicly that I had no interest in ever watching the replay of that match again, I still think there's a lot to take out of the way that Essendon went about it in light of how the Eagles tried to play the game. As always, we'll start by reviewing what we thought might happen before looking more broadly at what we can learn from the win. So the first point we took into the match is what we needed to do to win was to limit the amount of inside 50s conceded as that was a big issue that we'd been doing it, particularly over the last four or so weeks. So Essendon conceded 48 inside 50s to West Coast, and that's two more than Essendon generated. However, you know, if you look at it relatively, that was Essendon's second lowest inside 50s conceded for the season. We conceded 43 to Hawthorne in round one, and so that was the second least. Uh, For West Coast, it was their equal second highest for the season after their win against GWS. But even though they got quite a lot of entries, most of those were of lower quality to the pocket or in positions where our defenders could intercept marks. So if you look through our main defenders, uh, Ridley, BZT, Redmond, McGrath, Laverty, and Ambrosio each took two intercept marks. So if you compare that to the Eagles players, and they've got some you know, players that are known for taking intercept marks, they only took six intercept marks for the entire game, as opposed to 20 all up for Essendon. So even though West Coast did get quite a looks in a lot of looks in the forward line, uh, they weren't high quality and they were in positions where uh, our defenders were well set up to intercept. Yeah, I mean, it was a, a relatively defensive game. Uh, no team really tried to take the game on too frequently with with really fast ball movement. Uh, we set up as we typically have for most of this season and that's to really protect the corridor and, and protect our own back six. And West Coast was a little bit similar. They they really looked like they were trying to limit the damage with the way that they went about it. Uh, we're, you know, the, with the way we're playing, we're likely to be a slightly more uh, or concede more inside 50s than 
than other teams. And, you know, to keep a team below 50 all in all wasn't a bad effort. You're keeping in mind also that they got some players back in, in the likes of, you know, Yao and um, uh, Barras and, and the like as well. So they got some experience back. Their midfield was, you know, th- they had some good players through there and some experience through there. So, uh, you know, I think all in all, it was, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't a bad effort. We, we were pretty measured and considered with ball in hand. We averaged 378 disposals a game this season, which is the fifth most in the AFL which, you know, is really more about how we we like to control and, and move the ball down the ground. We went slightly above that at 390 against West Coast. So I think that that sort of talks a bit to how we were prepared to just be patient and and sort of slow the game down and, and not turn it into a bit of a frenzy. And if you think back to the same game last year, it was. we we It was a pretty frenetic high-scoring game. I think we we scored almost 100, didn't we, and, and lost by 10 points. So very different, very different sort of game. Um, and then, yeah, we conceded those sort of sideways and short uh, options to West Coast. They had 27 more disposals than their season average. So, yeah, I think it it played out the way that that we thought that it might really. And and in the end, we just won every quarter by two goals, and and that was enough to get a a good win on the board. Yeah, I agree. Uh, our next point was uh, BZT on Oscar Allen being the key defensive matchup, and uh, Allen kicked four goals. They be fair to uh, Zerk Thatcher. One of those was a Joe the Goose handball in the square and the other was at the end of the game where Heppel ended up on him. Uh, but it did seem that when Laverde was moved on to him, he was better at limiting up Allen's influence than when BZT was was on him. Yeah, I think uh, BZT got sold down the river a few times throughout the game. It, it, he also missed some shots, didn't he? So we were probably a little bit lucky that he only kicked the four. And yeah, I just think we probably weren't as switched on as defensively as we have been for most games this season. And and when you consider, you know, the, the real highs of the week before we had that big one point win, uh, you know, all the emotion of that uh, from dream time at the G uh, it was our fourth interstate trip in, or sorry, third interstate trip in four weeks. So, you know, there's been a lot happening. You can probably give us a little bit of an excuse and a bit of a cop out for, for switching off at times in a game that we were, you know, never really threatened. We we controlled it pretty much from the start. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm not surprised there were moments throughout where Oscar or Allen, who's a really, really good key forward, was able to to get a little bit of space and get on the end of a couple. Yeah, and then you mentioned him before with the players that they had back, but we really wanted to limit Barassa's influence. It was He was a player that played a key role in, in their victory against us last year. Um, and it was very interesting to see that, you you know, he was started forward and I, I guess it was a way to try to disrupt Essendon's planning and make use of his marking ability to to take marks inside 50. But within 10 minutes of the first quarter, when Essendon had kicked the first three goals, he was back in defence and he ended up well down on his season averages then. So I think we did a pretty good job avoiding going to him uh, as much as we could. Yeah, we scored from 65% of our entries inside 50. That's the fourth best inside 50 efficiency of any team in any game this season. So, uh, you know, we, we were really considered with our ball movement. We weren't prepared to give them an opportunity to win the ball back unnecessarily. We, we really just, you know, when we had the ball in hand, we sort of patrolled the the 50 meter line and, and really only went inside when we felt we had a good opportunity to hit a target and score. So, you know, our, our previous best for a bit of context 
this season was 59% against the Giants in round two. That was that game where, of course, we we kicked a lot of behinds. So, and yeah, we averaged just under 51% over the course of the season. So we just really didn't give him an opportunity to intercept our, our ball use inside 50 for the most part. When we did go inside 50, was was pretty good. And, you know, six and a half times out of 10, it, it ended up being a score. Yeah, and, you know, if you're doing that, you're going to win most games. Uh, and finally, we wanted to address a few statistical KPIs. So you pointed out that, when you're planning for for teams that are lower down, you, you want to hit a few metrics uh, to make sure that you're up and about. And the first one there was to have a greater than 16 inside 50 tackles. Uh, we only had 12 inside 50 tackles, although that was eight more than what West Coast could generate themselves. But that mark is still two higher than our season average. So still pretty good. Uh, we also took 15 marks inside 50, which is four higher than average. And, and when you're marking the ball inside 50, there's less opportunities to get tackles. Yeah, I think going above our season average is a really good result. Maybe we, we didn't have a lot of inside 50 entries. You know, um, there weren't a lot of scraps for our small forwards because we were we were marketing and, and, and scoring pretty frequently. I, I think for, you know, league-wide contests, no club average is more than 12 and a half inside or 12.6 inside 50 tackles a game this season. So for us to get 12 in a game where there weren't really all that many opportunities for them, I think is a pretty good outcome. And and I think it, it's a testament to the fact that, you know, whilst we we maybe weren't as switched on defensively and and maybe our setup and structure wasn't quite as tight as it has been throughout the year, our, our effort and our intent to compete and contest was was really high. And I think that's the big pass mark for this game. You, you get over to Perth, you win by 50 points uh, against a team who – you know, had some pressure put on them, got some experience back. They're a proud club and, and we expected a response. We we sort of uh, you know, worked our way through that. And then our effort at the contest, our effort uh, in terms of tackling and pressure on the opposition was pretty good. And uh, I, I think that speaks a, a lot to to where Brad Scott has his, has his charges at the moment in, in terms of their mindset and, and approach to games of footy. Yeah. And what would have should build off that is generate – uh, 24 points from forward half turnover, which is the metric that we set. Um, but we only scored one goal, two from forward half turnover. So that's eight points. Um, only 29 points all up from all forward half sources. And that's excluding center bounce. Uh, the season average for this game was 34. And I think this is a real key area that the side will need to improve on. If they're to move into being a top four contender, you, those those sides that are contending for the premiership are generating a lot more scores from their front half than, than we are. Um, we've spoken in the past about how we're trying to build the defense does lead to a scoring more from the back half, but I think it's a, a real key area of focus that needs to be improved on going forward. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, I think it's probably something for us to to dig into come by week, mate. When we're doing a bit of a mid-season review, we, we can go into it in a little bit more detail. But we only generated 25 mid-zone turnovers for the game. So, so only 25 times throughout the game did we win the ball back from the opposition in, in between the 50-metre arcs. And that was the, the third equal lowest for the round. Incidentally, North Melbourne... Uh, had the same number of us. And then the the two teams that were below us were Adelaide and Sydney. Uh, they had the, the least for the round. And, and incidentally, those two teams won. So three of the, the four bottom teams for mid-zone turnovers, as it turned out, last week actually won their game. We averaged 26 and a half for the season, ranked 17th. Collingwood are at 33.1 and ranked first. So, uh, you know, there's a bit of a gap to close. It, it, it's only seven a game, which, which isn't a lot really, uh, but it, it is sort of, you know, you, you're giving yourself six or seven fewer opportunities to to score and, and you're giving the opposition, you know, 
six or seven more opportunities to to take the ball down the ground and score. So it sort of has a a, a two for the price of one impact, doesn't it? There's a bit of opportunity cost there. Uh, and then, yeah, it's worth noting that the top four in this area are all in the top six on the ladder. So, you know, no doubt this is something that will be front of mind for our coaches and, and part of the plan, medium to long-term, we'll, I'm, I've got no doubt will be to get better in this area. Yeah. And the final metric was to win contested possession, which we did quite convincingly. So we won contested possession by 25 and, and that's even with West Coast winning clearance 28 to 26. So we had a real big advantage in post clearance contested possession. So once the ball got out of the clearance, uh, when it moved into a contested area, we were winning it a lot more often than not. Yeah, I think that was the highlight for me out of the whole entire game. And, and it was pretty evident from the first bounce was that we were going to really put our head where we needed to, to, to win contested ball and, and, and make sure that, you know, at no point really throughout the game, did we allow West coast to get any genuine ascendancy by getting their hands on the footy, you know, first or, or more often than we did. So I think that was clear from, from the first bounce of the game that, that we were prepared to, to really work hard in and around the, the contest. And, and ultimately it was the reason that we were able to have a pretty, you know, comfortable win. Yeah. Well, look, before we move off the West Coast game, let's just consider it from a broader perspective. What do you think West Coast were trying to accomplish with their their game style? It was a very different way of playing that with, with, than what we've come up against from different sides so far this season. Yeah, I hope not too many of our listeners are driving when I say this because it, it, they might spin off the road when I say it. But it actually reminded me to, a little bit of Essendon in 2022. You think about that round 10 you know, horror show lost to the Swans up in Sydney. And then the following week, or and even a couple of weeks, we had games where I think we played Port from memory over in Adelaide the following week. And and we just really raised our intensity around contests. We we raised our tackle numbers and and we just stripped the game back and really worked on defense. We we were never really in the game uh, in terms of offensively and, and, and generating scores, but we we sort of stemmed the bleeding. And I think that's what West Coast went out to do. They're, they're a proud club. Uh, they've got a lot of experience around that place. And, and I think they really just wanted to, to you know, get a little bit of confidence back. Yes, yeah, stem the bleeding a bit and, and be able to walk off the field you know, being at least confident in their effort and, and, um, and how they went about things compared to the week before. Yeah. And I think from the Essendon perspective, I think in the past we would have just tried to beat the opposition in these games without really considering what they were trying to do. So you've sort of mentioned it a bit already, but just to finish off, how did the Bombers adjust the game to handle what the Eagles were doing? Yeah, I don't think we adjusted all that much, mate. I think we just really had a a fair bit of trust in the way that we've gone about things this season uh, and that that, that would get us through you know, we threw Perkins in the midfield and tried him there a little bit more than we had. Even Snelling went in at the end of the game and, and was in the centre bounce a couple of times. And, and he seemed to play a bit more in the midfield post centre bounce. So there were some, not so much structural changes, but but some positional ones and, and trying people out. You know, Guelphie's first game back since, um, was it round two? I think he played his last game. So, you know, we got some minutes into him. So, yeah, I think there were, again, some individual things, but we were probably a little bit more controlled with the ball than, than previous weeks, a little bit more considered going inside 50. But I just think we we ensured throughout the game that our our work rate and effort was consistent with the levels that we've seen throughout 2023. And, and that was really just what, yeah, was, was the difference between us and them. Yeah. Well, look, let's start moving on to some of the news from the weekend. Obviously, the big event 
this week was the mid-season draft, which occurred uh, the previous night to when we're recording. And Essendon, with their pick, chose Jaden Hunter, who's a 196-centimetre uh, forward from Western Australia. Um, interestingly, uh, whilst he's been playing as a key forward this year, when he was in his, his draft year, which was 2020, he was actually playing as a defender and, and would go up against Logan M- McDonald, uh, who currently plays for the Swans and was a top five pick in that draft. And he's even played as a ruck. He has a high vertical leap. It sounds, you know, at that height, it sounds a bit like uh, what Finlayson does uh, for Port Adelaide. Um, he suffered injuries in 2021 and, and 2022, uh, including an ACL, which wiped out his, his whole of last year. But in three waffle games so far this season, he, he's kicked 11 goals and it's what's really put him on the radar of clubs like Essendon. And I think he really feels a need in the developing tall forward space. There's obviously question marks over Harry Jones' durability after a couple of injury-prone years. And we've seen Kane Baldwin move to the back line. Um, also interesting to note, he's only on a six-month contract as well. So, you know, if it's if it's clear it's not working out, we're not going to be – he's not going to be costing us a lick spot for next year, um, even if he's just a rookie. Um, obviously, you know, I, I couldn't tell him from a bar of soap, but Ed Pascoe, formerly of Draft Central, um, thinks this is a good pick. So if he's a supporter, that's good enough for me. Yeah, of course, Perth wear uh, black with a red sash in, in the waffle as well. So he's going to feel right at home when he, he dons the sash for the first time. Mate, I'm, I'm like you. I, I know as much about him as I've read and seen published on the AFL and Essendon websites in the, in the last 24 hours and, and seen a couple of YouTube um, clips. But, yeah, we spoke about it last week, didn't we? From a list management perspective, it, I think it makes sense to have another key forward on our list, uh, you know, with as, as you said, we we do have a, a bit of a question mark over a couple of them. Baldwin's gone back. Jones is out injured for the season. Uh, Voss is clearly still working on his game. And, and we've seen Wiedemann do a really good job, but struggle at times without some help down there. So I think to, uh, you know, it's going to do a couple of things, I think, for the remainder of this season. It's going to uh, help Patrick Voss out in, in the VFL and, and give him another, you know, key forward in the forward line to, to work from. And, and it'll allow Voss to, probably compete a bit more one-on-one than he is at the moment, um, given that, you know, he's sort of drawing a second and third defender at times. And and then it also puts a bit of pressure on him that, you know, that that next in line spot's not guaranteed to him. He, he's not a walk-up start to it. He's going to have to continue to work hard on his game. So, yeah, I, I like it. His attributes sound exactly what we need. I, I like that he has the ability to, to move into the ruck and play there um, because I think going forward we're – you know, it, it gives us some flexibility if he does make it and, and, and cracks an AFL game that we then, you know, we don't necessarily have to rely on Peter Wright or, or Wiedemann going into the middle of the ground. So, yeah, it's it's a pretty astute pickup, mate. I'm looking forward to seeing him play in the VFL in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and, you know, we've got a pretty good history with these sort of mid-season drafts and, and supplementary pickups. And that's a nice little segue into Nick Martin, another, another Perth product. Um, you know, our friend Daniel Hoyne on SEN this week mentioned that Nick Martin was playing the best season from a winger since 2017. And just want you to touch on quickly what's made him so effective in that role this year. Yeah, I think there's there's two things, mate. Both uh, he's improved a lot, both with and and you know with and without the ball. So offensively and, and defensively, all of his defensive metrics are, are all up, and and I think that's you know partly due to the way that we're playing, but then the role that he's contributing in that as as a winger. Um, and you know he played forward for most of the first couple of weeks of the season, um, and he's yeah really then moved into the wing since then. So you know we're we're asking a lot of our wingers to get back and help our defence. So that naturally means that that 
metrics like spoils and uh, tackles and intercepts and and the like are all up. So so I would you know, I haven't gone and, and crunched the numbers against the other wingers in the competition, but I, I would imagine that part of the reason he's rating so highly is because he's doing a bit more than than his peers in in that part of the game. And then the other thing compared to last year, so I think it was he's he's improved eighty three percent year on year. I'm not quite sure how they index that and work it out, but um, we're scoring more as a team, and he's contributing to that. So you know his his goal assists, his score um, involvements are well up on on what they were last year, and and you know really high in the context of the competition. Mm. And like long may it continue. And, you know, as you, as you say, you know, it's, it's only his second season. There's clearly still more you can develop and really excited with the potential for him moving more in, more inside. And I've heard other people mention this as a comparison, but what Jordan Dawson's done uh, at Adelaide this year, you know, going from an outside player to, to inside and using his skills there, I think that's a potential role for him in the future as well. And I know that's something you've been uh, wanting to see as well, him going inside a bit more. Yeah, I think he's got all the attributes that lend himself to to that, you know, balance and, and power is strong through the hips and, and he moves through traffic really, really well. Um, you know, I think he, he's the, the greatest role he can play for us now is on the wing. We don't have a lot of depth in that area and his height helps us defensively. I, I did crunch some numbers though earlier in the week. He's he's one of only 12 players in the AFL this season to average more than 21 disposals a game, have six or more score involvements and average more than half a goal a game. So, you know, he, he's getting the footy and and he's making it count. And, you know, a couple of the other names in that group are the likes of Bontepelli and, and Petraka. And, you know, the fact that he's had, you know, just the one full AFL preseason and he's, you know, he's putting those sort of numbers out and, and contributing both offensively and defensively at such a, a strong rate is, um, yeah, all, all credit to him. And I think he's just going to get better and better. Yeah. Uh, well, look, last week we did this thing where we asked each other a question and we gave a, a long form answer. We're going to continue that this week. So last week you asked me how we should structure the defense when Laverty and Kelly returned. So I'm going to return the favor this week by asking you how you see the midfield looking when Paris Shield and Setterfield are all fit. Yeah, good question, mate. Um this is going to be one of those really nice problems to have. And and I don't think there's a straightforward answer. You, you know, do you pull the names out of the hat? Um, I'm, no, because that's a little bit facetious. But so far this season, excluding Ruckman, we've used just nine different players at centre bounces. So uh, Will Snelling, I, I mentioned earlier, went in to the midfield in the last quarter last week. He became the ninth uh, for the season and, and went in for two. So, you know, until up to three-quarter time uh, of round, what was it, last week, 11 this year, we'd only used eight different players in our centre bounce um, mix-up. And those eight were Parrish, Merritt, Setterfield, Shield, Stringer, Hobbs, Caldwell and Perkins. And, and Perkins himself hasn't been in there a lot. Uh, then you look at a team like Collingwood on top of the ladder, again, clear of everybody else. They've used seven again, excluding Ruckman in each of the past two weeks. And and three weeks ago, they used eight in, in one game. Um, uh, it was seven on Anzac Day. So seven sort of the number they run with most weeks. The most we've used in a game is, or well, most weeks we've used five. We we used seven against Port, but, but that was the week where Hobbs was the sub, if you remember, and, and Ridley went off. So he sort of had an extra midfielder and, and he went in. So, uh, you know, I, I think that that's the opportunity in, in how we, we fit them all in is we actually increase the number that we're, we're playing through there first and foremost. 
I think it's probably a little bit naive to think we're going to have everyone fit and available to us at the one time. We, we haven't so far. So, uh, you know, it might not be a problem that eventuates. But what we have seen throughout this year is that Shield, Hobbs and Caldwell can be effective playing forward and, and probably more so than we may be anticipated. I think Hobbs played a fair bit of time forward last year and, and has benefited from that. Caldwell played a lot there, almost exclusively there earlier this season. And, and Dylan Shield, He's in that 12 that I mentioned with Nick Martin, Bontempelli and Petraka as a player who's averaging uh, 21 disposals or more a game and, and having an influence on the scoreboard too. So, uh, you know, they, they've added forward craft to their game and then we know Stringer can play forward. We know Perkins can and we know that Zach Merrick can. So I think we've got flexibility to move things around week to week depending on our opponent. I think ultimately, yeah, Parrish is, is one of, if not the elite clearance um, and contested ball winner in the competition. So when he returns, he attends you know 75% of the centre bounces. And and when he's not on the ground, he's on the bench. I, I think Merritt and Setterfield, you know, get to around 60%, which is which is reduced on what we've seen earlier this season. And then Hobbs, Shield, and Caldwell sort of become part of that six as as our core midfield group. And then that allows us to use Stringer and Perkins on a, a bit more of a needs proposition. Stringer, when we need that size, can come in, you know, if Setterfield is resting or, or we need to mix things up and, and really get something dynamic in there, likewise with Perkins. So so that's sort of how I see it playing out, mate. I think the other thing it does do is it allows us to manage loads week to week. We'll, we'll see weeks where, you know, some of our mids are playing reduced minutes and, and their time on ground will be, you know, sort of mid 60%. People speak a lot about Collingwood's fitness, and and it is true. They they do seem to be a lot fitter than everyone else. They run out games really well. They come from behind frequently, but they also play five gen- genuine midfielders. Dugowie is you know, playing eighty five percent centre bounce attendance, so he's playing as a genuine mid this year. And then they've got Mitchell, Pendlebury, Adams, and Crisp. So that five genuine mids, and, and they rotate those through. And then they have the likes of the Dacos brothers. You know, Jamie Elliott spent a little bit of time in the midfield. Bo McCreary went in there at, at one point last week. So they then use their forwards to complement that and, and, and give opposition something else to think about and, and give their primary mids a, a little bit of a rest. So it's not just that they're Collingwood are fitter than everyone else. I think it's also because they're fresher than everyone else because they're sharing the load. And that mix for them does change week to week. And and that's the model that I'd be looking at for us going forward. Yeah, look, it's the, you know, that center bounce rotation is, is something we've, we've spoken about for a year and a half now. And as you say, we, we, we're getting a lot of knowledge about what our players are capable of and, and what the best mix going forward is. So again, as you say, you're probably not going to have everyone fit at any one time. And, you know, there's one player you haven't mentioned that that's coming back through the VFL this week in Elijah Sardis. And we don't know what he's capable of yet. And it'd be interesting to see how he fits into that rotation once he's up and flying. Yeah, no, that's a good point, mate. And it's exciting that he's back this week. And and again, he just adds to the the good problem to have. I don't think you can ever have too many midfielders on your list or or in your 22, really. So, uh, yeah, that as we get more and more midfield depth, that the best thing we can do is to actually use it. Um, question for you, mate. Uh, left field one. Uh, of course, I, I don't um, ask this in in meaning that I would wish injury on on any player, especially one of our own. But is Peter Wright and then, you know, Darcy Parrish and Dylan Sheelan, to a lesser extent, Will Setterfield, those guys getting injured, is that possibly the best thing that could have happened to Brad Scott? 
uh, early in his Essendon tenure and, and what it's meant to exposing young players and finding out more about them? Yeah, it's a really good question. And to, to answer it, I think I'm going to do a first for uh, AFL fan football podcast by referencing a US Secretary of Defence. Um, so for those who are, you know, uh, remembered back 20 years to just before the Iraq war, we had former US Secretary of Defence Donald Rumsfeld speak about uh, known known knowns, known unknowns and unknown unknowns. So he was talking about it in relation to Iraq and its uh its connection to international terrorism, but uh, I'm going to use that for looking at how what you, your question does allows Brad Scott to do in terms of learning about the list. So I'm just going to steal that. Uh, hopefully it makes sense to everyone. So those three of those players that you mentioned in Peter Wright, Parrish and Shield, uh, what we would call known knowns. So we know what they can produce and what they can deliver for the sides and, we, and the roles that they can play. Um, and so as good as it is to have them in the side, Scott's not learning about what the rest of the team is capable of with them playing, um, especially in considering it's a bit of a development year and, and he's learning the list. Setterfield was a bit more of a known unknown in that we knew what he was capable of, but didn't know if he could produce it regularly. And I think with what we've seen so far this year, we now have a fair idea of what he's capable of and where he fits in. Uh, so because of those injuries, the players have got more of a chance in the more important roles than they otherwise would have uh, because of those longer-term injuries, such as Hobbs, Caldwell, and Wiedemann. Those are players that came into the season as, as what I would call known unknowns. So we knew they potentially could fill those roles, but it's not until they were given the opportunity that we now know from what we've seen these past few weeks that they are capable of filling key positions within the side going forward. And what that does, it helps to lock in what a best 22 going forward is and helps with the future planning. And that then brings us to the unknown unknowns because of a lot of the players that we weren't sure could make the step up have had the opportunity to do so. It makes it easier for Brad Scott and his team to assess where the capability gaps are for the side and what list holes need to be addressed through the trade and draft. And, and we saw a bit of that with the pick at the mid-season draft. So there's probably a lot less question marks over fringe players because they've been given opportunities due to those injuries. Um, so I think overall Scott will be happy with what he's been able to learn about different players throughout the injury crisis. And it helps advance, as I said, the future planning of the side um, and potentially helps move up the timetable to where when we'll be premiership contenders. So look, as long as Brad Scott doesn't get the itch to invade Iraq, I think we might look back on this year as the one which set up the list for success. Yeah, I think he's probably going to, uh, take one battle at a time, right? Um, <laughs> that's a good answer, though, mate. Uh, I, I always love it when you you get to um, uh, you know listen or talk about footy and, and get a history lesson at the same time. So, uh, so thanks for that. I, I guess a couple of other ones that probably fit into that category of of known unknowns is uh, you know he's learnt I, I think you know a bit more about Langford as well. Uh, you know he he saw Langford as a swingman and, and we used him down back and and he's done less of that as the year's gone on. He's, he's our leading goal kicker. Jake Stringer, he started to use a bit more in a, in a defensive midfield role when we've lost some of our other midfielders to not not necessarily playing on an opponent, but just helping to create space for his other other mids and and, and reduce access to, to some of the opposition's best mids. You know, Zach Merritt, we talked about him after the Brisbane game, how he was playing a bit more of a contested role and that's continued the last couple of weeks. So, yeah, even some of the more experienced players have have you know had some tweaks to to their game in in how they've been used over the last month because of you know some of the other guys that have been missing. So 
yeah, I think there's there's a whole category of um, of uh, you know known unknowns and unknown unknowns that that have started to to become a little bit known now. Yeah, I mean, as we'll probably learn more about again different players as, as the season goes on, and then decisions the harder decisions can start to be made there. Well, look, let's move on to our opponent this week, which is North Melbourne. And North Melbourne finished last in 2022 with only two wins, and and those came against West Coast and Richmond at a percentage of 55.8, which is really quite low. Um, They did start season 23 on a positive note with new coach Alistair Clarkson winning their opening two games against West Coast and Fremantle, but they haven't won a game since, and they're currently sitting in 17th place, but with a percentage of 66. So they're a little ahead on last year from that metric. Uh, after Clarkson stepped aside and Ratton took over, whilst they haven't won, well, arguably they should have beaten Sydney if not for their little interchange kerfuffle, um, they've been a far more competitive outfit. Um, so across the season, they're handballing a lot more than last year. So the kick to handball ratio of 1.35, and that was compared to 1.49 last year. And then if you look at the last two weeks, um, that's gone even lower to 1.22. So they're really looking to move the ball by handball, uh, particularly the last couple of weeks. They're also generating the second least inside 50s with only 47.6 a game. And then even when they go in there, they're the least efficient side. So they only got uh, 42.5% once inside 50. Um, again, though, there has been improvement in the last two weeks, particularly in the amount of inside 50s they're conceding. It's dropped uh, a lot lower than their season average in, in these past two games. Uh, what was interesting to see that is they're actually the best stoppage side in the comp. Uh, they're generating four more stoppage clearances a game than their opponents. Um, and if you remember back to when we played Brisbane, they were number one in the metric at that time. And, and so North's gone past them. Uh, but we did match Brisbane, who, as I said, were the number one stoppage clearance side at the time. Uh, but that stoppage clearance winning doesn't flow onto their contested possession numbers. So they're down four and a half a game on the opposition. So they're pretty good at winning that that clearance. But when it gets out and, and you have that, you know, loose, loose ball contested situations, they're not as good at winning them. Yeah, that stoppage clearance hasn't really translated into stoppage scores either. They they have 19 points a game from stoppages and concede 21. So even though they're they're winning four more uh, stoppages than their opponent each game, they're conceding two more points. And, and they also get outscored from centre bounces 12.8 points a game to, to 6.5 points a game for, for themselves. So, uh, so yeah, a it, 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 little bit of an anomaly there that it's not quite translating on the scoreboard. They did dominate... The Swans in stoppage scores, though, they outscored the Swans 48 points to 20. So, uh, you know, that really does boost that that differential or, or close the gap on their differential. It's sort of the outlier for this season. And, and I guess they've demonstrated against a team that, you know, has some good midfielders running there that they can hold their own and hit the scoreboard when, when they get things going this way. You've mentioned, and, and it's been a bit of a narrative throughout the media, that they've been a bit more competitive the last two weeks under Brett Ratton. Is there anything in their numbers that really tells a story that that paints that picture? Yeah, well, as we've said, it's only a two-game sample size, but so far they've scored 15 more points in the last two games compared to the first eight weeks, and they've also conceded less so they averaged a score of 103 points against under Clarkson. Look, it's still pretty high at 99 points the last two weeks. Um, but again, it's got a little bit of a downward trend. Um, as I said earlier with the kick to handball ratio, that they're kicking a lot less and they're handballing more. Um, their contested possession numbers are slightly up um, and their uncontested possession is, is also up 18 a game. Um, 
as a rule, though, they give the ball up a lot more there in their opponents. So they're going at minus six intercepts per game. And this really hasn't changed under Ratton so far. Yeah, and this is where they're really getting hurt on the scoreboard. They're scoring 37 points a game from turnover themselves, but they're being scored heavily against. That They concede 63 points a game on turnover. And there's no real dominant zone. It's not like they're coughing up the ball in in their forward 50 or their defensive 50 or, or through the middle of the ground any more than, than anywhere else. They're, they're turning the ball over in, in all parts of the ground and, and being scored from all parts of the ground. And just by comparison, we're conceding 45 points a game from turnover. So, you know, they're, they're well and truly above that. Yeah. Well, look, just quickly, their list changes. So they had pick one uh, after the season, but they traded that for pick two and pick three as part of the uh, whole big Jason Horn Francis deal. Um, with that, they picked up Harry Sheasel and George Wardlaw. Um, other, they have brought a lot of players in. Uh, other players of note include Cooper Harvey, which is a nephew of Shane. I think that's his only AFL connection. Um, traded in Darcy Tucker and Griffin Logue from Fremantle, and they picked up Liam Shields as a supplementary selection using the old Mal Markle trick. I think Shady would be pretty proud of that. Um, obviously, Harry Sheasel has been the highlight. He's one of the favourites for the rising star. He's averaging 27 disposals, mostly playing off halfback, despite primarily being drafted as a forward of centre player. Um, and since Ratton has taken over, he has been going forward more. He kicked two goals against the Swans while still also getting 25 touches. Uh, Wardlaw debuted against the Swans and has shown some signs, although it hasn't had a breakout game yet. Uh, some of the players to depart, obviously, uh, Jason Horn francis uh, went back home to Port Adelaide after being the number one pick the previous year. Uh Jed Anderson uh, uh, was delisted after playing 14 games and being a long-term player for North. Uh, other players to depart include Adu Bozanavalugi. I hope I got that right. Uh, Jared Pollock, uh, he was delisted with one year to go on, on his contract. He was there, uh, finally, finally their big fish free agent. Didn't really work out. And then uh, Josh Walker, who also played 16 games last year. So they did uh, cut pretty deep. There's a, a few more names there that I haven't mentioned. Yeah, George Wardlaw was really impressive on debut uh, last week. Of course, uh, an Essen fan growing up, and and I think all of us hoped he, he might slip to pick five, and didn't work out that way. But um, yeah, he he was he was certainly really impressive, and I think I saw he's extended his deal for another two years earlier in the week, which North fans would be pretty wrapped about, given the way things played out with um, Jason Horn francis um, And before anyone messages in, uh, Humi, of course, knows that Cooper Harvey is the son of Brent Harvey, and um, and that was very much tongue-in-cheek. So, um, yeah, well played there, mate, and and good effort on trying to pronounce Atu's uh, surname. I, I wouldn't have even tried. Fair enough. Uh, look, let's quickly reflect on the last time versus North Melbourne. It uh, was the last win Essendon had for the year. It was in round 20. Uh, Essendon 17 12 114 defeated North Melbourne 9 12 66. Uh, they Essendon won every quarter, won out 48 point winners. Uh, it was a game where North dominated the clearances 44 to 22, and, and that included 20 to 6 from center clearance. But Essendon controlled the game around the ground, they generated 16 more intercepts and 51 more marks. Um, and despite North doing so well in the clearances. Essendon had 16 more tackles and 13 more tackles inside 50. Um, the players that drove that centre clearance dominance were Greenwood, Simkin and Davies Uniac, who each had four or more, whilst Essendon's intercept game was led by Zerk Thatcher and Laverde, who had nine apiece. Um, for Essendon, Stringer kicked five and, and Zerha kicked four goals for North. I actually think it's a, it's a game on reflection that 
I think it might actually be a pretty similar game this time as well in terms of the strengths of the sides. Yeah, I think you're right. We we could see a game where where we lose out at, at clearance and and our ability to set up the ground and and defend, albeit as improved from last year, and we'll go about it in a in a much different way. I think if the game goes true to form, then then the result could be quite similar, and and some of the statistical markers will be quite similar. Yeah. Well, look, let's get on to selection and for. A bit of difference. We'll actually start with Essendon this week. So with the extended bench for the Sunday game, in comes Alan Davey Jr., Andrew Phillips, Dylan Shield, and Rhett Montgomery. Uh, Anthony McDonald, Tipper Woody has been omitted. Uh, and then so the extended bench, uh, assuming that they're only picking the the final subs from the extended bench, uh, Dylan Shield, Archie Perkins, Nick Hind, Nick Bryan, Alan Davey Jr., uh, Andrew Phillips, Matt Guelphie, and Rhett Montgomery. Um, a few names missing. Uh, no Peter Wright. There was a bit of bit of weird ruled out, and then Brad Scott ruled him back in, and, and then he wasn't selected. So it was a bit weird this week with the communication from the club on him. But I, it does sound like he's close. Um, Jake Kelly playing in the VFL. I expected him to be a, a player who came straight back in. But obviously, they they thought he needed some to get some game time in before they could get him into the the seniors, and then. There's also a bit of doubt on a couple of players. Uh, a Draper hasn't done much training this week. Uh, I don't think Perkins trained this week either. Um, again, assuming that the the players named on the field are going to be in the final team, uh, Massimo does seem to have moved into the 18 after being subbed last week. And I think that's a pretty good reward for a player who had a, a reasonably good quarter um, when he did, did came on as the sub. Yeah, I think despite all the the Peter Wright hype and um, and letdown, it, it, it's good that he's at, at least very very close, isn't it? So you know they've obviously gone conservative again and, and given him a, at least another week. Um, so yeah, it's exciting that you know we probably thought that we weren't going to see him until maybe the last you know four or five games of the season, and but it looks more likely now that we're going to see him you know next week or or if not certainly the the game after the bye. So that's exciting. Uh, Jake Kelly, it's good to see him back in the VFL. A little bit surprised that that he didn't come straight back in, but but maybe they're just being ultra conservative with him, and he's had a history of concussion. Yeah, I, I'd imagine that there is doubt on Draper, a because he didn't train, but also because we've picked uh, three rucks in the squad. So I think that's a bit of an indicator that there's doubt. If if not on him, then it, then at least one of them. Uh, and then yeah, BZT did cop a few whacks last week, didn't he? He looked a bit sore, really sore at the end of the game. So so maybe Montgomery's just there for. For cover, hopefully Dylan Sheely is back. I, I think he's a, a really important player, and, and he brings some experience and, and some really, um, you know, good ball use on the outside. And, and he's had a goal kick into his game, so he'll be a, a real welcome return. And, and without Parish as well, he, he helps to to improve our clearance game too. So hopefully he's back. And yeah, good to see Massimo rewarded, as you said. Yeah. Uh, just quickly on on North Melbourne, won't spend a lot of time on this, but their ins are Aiden Cork, Curtis Taylor, Darcy Tucker, uh, Liam Shields, and Taron Thomas. After a few incidents, uh, out goes Charlie Lazaro and Paul Curtis, both omitted. Any any thoughts from from those named there in how they might be looking to to go with their final side? No, I, I guess Aiden Cork's a. a- sort of an undersized key defender and Darcy Tucker's sort of a mid-sized defender. So they've strengthened up that part of the ground. I think they were both named in the 18 um, and Liam Shields gives them experience. I was a little bit surprised to see 
Lazaro and, and Curtis both omitted. Uh, not that they've been shooting the lights out, but they're those types of you know pacey, exciting sort of you know forward, um, you know mid forward type of players that can really hurt us. So I, I was a little bit relieved to see see them left out. But you know Taron Thomas, you know we won't talk about his off field stuff, but uh, on field he he gives them plenty of that and more. And then Phoenix Spicer, who's who's one of their extended bench players, has a lot of that too. So. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I don't think we can read too much into into where they're at, really. Yeah. Well, what we can do though is is look at their last result, and as we've been mentioning, there has been some improved performances from North, and this was one of them to an extent. Uh, they played the ladder leaders in Collingwood, and they lost by thirty five points. Uh, Collingwood did get out to a fifty four point lead at the start of the final quarter. Uh, North kicked six goals to three to end the match. Uh, with a, a more reasonable margin, but you may, then maybe there's an argument about Collingwood taking their foot off the gas when, when they had the match won there. Um, but North did match Collingwood in many of the statistical indicators, including clearances, uh, contested possessions, intercepts and marks. Uh, but from their possessions, Collingwood were able to generate 10 more inside 50s and that's where their extra score came from. With their um, primary midfielder and Luke Davies Uniac being out, um, Hugh Greenwood's really stepped up at centre bounces. And we've also seen a, uh, increased contributions from Will Phillips as well. He had 29 disposals, which is the first time he's ever had over 20 years career. All of those 29, 23 were handballs. Yeah, I think it was just a game where, you know, North's effort was there, but the Pies just outclassed them really. And, and it wasn't, too dissimilar to our game against West Coast. You know, you're right, a, a bit's been made of North being more competitive, but that Collingwood got out to 54 points, as you mentioned. It was four goals to nil at quarter time. Collingwood kicked six of the first seven and nine of the first 12. So they, you know, they they really did just get to the game the game to a, a more than manageable level and, and then just sort of took the foot off a little bit. North were competitive at clearance and in contested ball early in that first quarter. And despite winning territory, though, the Pies were pretty effective at just getting the ball back and transitioning it. And, and once they got a look at goal, they they took, you know, they, they scored, they they took every opportunity to play on as they typically do. And, and yeah, they, they were able to score without a lot of transition, um, you know, throughout, uh, sorry, a lot, without a lot of pressure on transition, I should say, um, throughout most of the game. North are the lowest pressure rated team in the AFL this season. And, and you know, they, they certainly couldn't afford to, to be that low against Collingwood and, and Collingwood just did what they needed to do. They, they scored four goals from turnovers or, or intercepts in their own back 50. And, um, and yeah, once they got the ball on their own terms, they, they sort of cut through North Melbourne pretty easily and, and did what they needed to do to win the game. Yeah. Well, look, let's look ahead to Sunday and what we need to do in order to, to win. What's the, what's the first thing you've got for us in terms of what Essendon need to do to win the match? Yeah, I'm expecting something pretty similar to last week uh, that that we got from West Coast, and then also that that North took up to Collingwood. So, I, I think we've just got to ride that initial onslaught. Despite what most Essendon supporters think of North Melbourne, you know they they're a proud club and and they love nothing more than beating us. It, you know this will be right up there for their fans as as their you know their most important game of the season and the one they'll really want to win. So they'll be up early and they were last week. So I think we just need to com- hold our composure early. And even if that means that we do really slow down our ball movement and, and maintain possession, if we need to defend for the first 15 minutes by keeping ball in hand, then I think we just have to be prepared to do that. North are 18th in the AFL for tackle differential and, and we're second. They're 15th in the AFL for inside 50 tackle differential. We're eighth. And then they're 18th in the AFL for intercept differential. And, and we're 14th, although when you look at the raw numbers, we're a lot closer to to first than we are to 18. So 
they'll be up and about for for you know the first 10 to 15 minutes and, and then the game should settle down we did a good job last week and, and we'll need to do it again on sunday and just work our way through that early heat from north and, and maintain composure and possession we didn't do a good job of it against St Kilda. If you remember, we made errors. You know, Langford dropped one, Redmond dropped a couple, and, and turned the ball over, and and we were scored against. We just don't want to do that against a team who, you know, doesn't have the confidence or the the belief that St Kilda had uh, when we played them earlier in the season. North concede. You t- you touched on this that the sixth most inside fifties in the competition this year. And they're actually better than us in that regard. We we can see the second most, but but then they're 17th for scores conceded per inside 50. We've got the third best uh, score per inside 50 offensively. So so North are, are 17th for, for coughing up scores per inside 50. We're third best at scoring once we get it in there. So I think like last week, when we get our, our chances to score, be controlled, be considered, especially through that first quarter. And, and if we can convert our chances early and put some scoreboard pressure on. I think from then on, we should be able to get the game on our terms and, and be able to produce a result. You know, maybe not necessarily a 50-point win, but a, a win that that allows us to win every quarter and 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 have a, a, a reasonably comfortable game of it. Yeah. Well, let's go through all three parts of the ground. And as always, game start in the midfield. Does it finish there too? Yeah. I, largely, I think it does. North are without... Luke Davies, Uniak, who, uh, you know, is one of the best midfielders in the competition. And Ben Cunnington, they're, they're really, um, you know, senior combative midfield general. They're, they're their top two contested possession winners and and two of their top four clearance winners, Jai Simpkin and Todd Goldstein are the other two. So, um, uh, you know, we're without Parrish and Setterfield and, and Shield is, I, I guess, until we see him run out there, he's still a, a to be confirmed. So so we're, we're down ourselves. But... A lot is really going to fall onto Jai Simpkin and, and Hugh Greenwood to do the heavy lifting and, and Liam Shields as well if he makes the final side. And then they'll rotate, you know, their, their young players in Sheasel and Wardlaw along with, you know, guys like Phillips and Power. So I think if we can restrict Simpkin somewhat, he, he's the one that can win his own footy but also spread and, uh, and uh, you know, whilst he hasn't had a year as good as he has in the last couple uh, he he can be a really dangerous midfielder. So I think this is where that that role that Stringer's been playing at centre bounces can once again be really important. Uh, Greenwood will will crash in and be combative and be competitive uh, and and try and feed the ball out, but he doesn't typically hurt you all that much with his disposal. Simpkin can. So I think if, if Stringer can. Uh, help in that regard to to give our other mids an opportunity to go head to head. Then then I think that's going to really help the way we play. And then our two rucks, you know, whoever they end up being, whether it's Draper or not, they need to really work over Goldstein. Uh, you know, we've not had a lot from our rucks in the last few weeks. And if there's a players in North Side that can really expose us, and you know, Goldstein's. You know, he's played a lot of footy. He's 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 beaten up. He's taken a lot of hot hits. He's not the player that he was you know, five years ago, but he he can make North Melbourne a better team and he can make the game easier for the rest of his teammates if he's getting a lot of really good looks at the footy in the ruck contest. So I think we just need to wear him down. We need to drag him forward as often as we can. So yeah, Goldstein and Simpkin are the two in that midfield that I think we just need to be really mindful of and and try and restrict their influence by working them over and, and, and making them worry a bit more about us. Yeah. Well, look, speaking of forwards then we'll move to that part of the ground uh no peter wright again this week uh what have you got for us there 
Yeah, North are really relying on Jack Siebel to be that intercept player down back for them. They they rely on him uh, in similar ways to to the reason that we used Langford down back earlier in the season to give a bit of protection to an undersized defence. They they haven't probably got what they thought they might have out of Aiden Core and, and Griffin Logue. Core's 194 centimetres, Logue's you know, 190, 191, 192. So they're... They're undersized for key position defenders and, and they haven't had the intercept influence that that I think they probably hoped they were getting. Uh, and then Ben McKay, you know, at his best, he's been a, a really, really good, um, you know, he hasn't put it together for full season, so he's never really been in contention. But his best has been, you know, all Australian calibre. He's lost eight of his 19 one-on-one contests this season, and, and that was a part of his game that was really, really strong. So he's vulnerable. I, I think if we can get our resting Ruckman working well for us when they're forward, and, and you know, by that I mean, you know, have a bit more of a presence, drag their opponent away from our, our other forwards, and and then when they are the target, bring the ball to ground, uh, then we really ask questions of North, and, and do they want to play – or Logue on, uh, you know, undersized on, you know, whether it's Draper or Phillips or or Brian, you know, where they're going to be giving away 10 or 12 centimetres, or do they shift McKay, who I think is 202 centimetres himself, which then leaves Core or, or Griffin Logue to to take Wiedemann. And again, you know, Wiedemann then is going to have a, a, a matchup that he can expose. And then I think Langford is is probably one who, again, as he has most weeks, is is going to get a, a matchup that he can expose through his class and smarts and and you know stretch them with height as well. So uh, so yeah, I think the ruck or the resting ruck though becomes a key pillar in in how we structure up that forward line and and how we create space for one another. And then I think our our small forwards can really help this week to help us retain the ball. They don't have a lot of really good ball users in effect. This season, uh, they do on paper, and and you know Aaron Hall and Harry Sheasel are two of those. But they've been kicking at just sixty nine percent efficiency this season, or, or Aaron Hall this season, and Harry Sheasel's in his first season. Sheasel's uh, had the fourteenth most turnovers in the competition, and part of that's been you know increased a bit since he's been playing a little bit more half uh, forward and, and in the midfield. But they don't have any really. Uh, high quality distributors at at halfback and the, and they can be prone to turning the ball over. So I think it's a big one for the likes of my boy Jai Menzi and and you know if it, if Davy plays or or Snelling and um and Guelphy to to really help us to to lock the ball in and, and win it back. Yeah, and look, we'll we'll end up with the back fifty. What's the what's the key focuses there? Yeah, so much of this, mate, it's just going to come down to supplies and it like like we saw last week. We we should be able to re- restrict North Melbourne to a, a manageable number of inside 50s. Nick Larkey's kicked 30 goals for the season. He's fourth in the Coleman medal. And we saw what happened last week when Oscar Allen got space. So, you know, we, we just need to make sure that we're uh, we're a bit more switched on defensively than we were last week. And, you know, like uh Sorry, Laverde, second game back, he'll be better for the run. Um, so you would hope that, that that's just going to naturally happen anyway. And then, you know, Stevenson and, and Cameron Zerha are, are really dangerous forwards on their day and both who've had um, big games against Essendon. So, you know, no doubt they've got some forwards that can really stretch and concern us. But 
I also think we've got the personnel down there to to restrict North's forwards if there's enough pressure around the ground and, and we win contested ball. So I think this is going to be another week, mate, where we measure ourselves against some of those KPIs of contested ball, stoppage clearances, inside 50 tackles and, and forward half turnovers. And if we can, you know, be at our season average or or above those in in, in each of those, then I, I think we're we're going to go a long way to winning the game. Yeah. And as always, we'll, we'll finish with the, the final thought and I'll ask you to finish this thought. Uh, there's been a lot less of this talk this week than, than the previous week against West Coast, but if Essendon does get up and win this, will it finally put to bed the idea that we always lose these games? I don't know if it puts it to bed completely, mate. I think last week we saw Hawthorne upset St Kilda, Fremantle upset Melbourne away from home, the Giants beat... Uh, the Cats down at Cadinia Park, Gold Coast, albeit a home game, upset the Bulldogs and, and Richmond were really competitive against Port Adelaide and gave them a scare in the last quarter. So I don't think there are really any of these games in inverted commas anymore, That those real gimme games. Uh, you know, granted, West Coast and, and North Melbourne are, are, are down at the moment, but if you don't uh, bring a, a high level of effort and professionalism to any game, you're, you're going to get exposed. So I think... You know, it's worth also noting the North Melbourne team that played last week was older and more experienced than than the Essendon team that played last week. So, you know, I think what this week is is just another opportunity to instill belief in our in both our playing group and our fans that we're we're heading in the right direction by having what probably won't be a pretty win, but just another another grind and and another really effective you know four quarter performance and where we yeah win four quarters and. Um, yeah, just tick another box along the journey of 2023. Yeah, fingers crossed for a very uh, another boring game that I don't plan on watching the replay then uh, from the perspective that we win rather than a game I don't watch the replay with because it was an absolute disaster. So fingers crossed there. Uh, look, that's going to end the show tonight. Thanks again to everyone who listens to the show and spread the word. It really means a lot. Uh, we're starting to look at how the buy rounds are going to look for us in terms of shows. Uh, expect an opportunity to have your, your questions asked, answered. Uh, and we're speaking with some special guests to have them on the show uh, for a, a little bit of a special. Um, we're also looking at doing a, a Zoom Q&A for patrons sometime during the bye week. So if you want to get in on that, you'll just need to sign up to the Patreon to join in. Uh, any final thoughts from you, Jono? No, none for me this week, mate. Thanks for keeping us organised as always. And um, yeah, great to catch up and and talk about another win and, and yeah, looking forward to getting to the Docklands on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again, everyone, and go Dons.